Honestly, I didn't see enough people dancing to that beat, which makes me concerned. I was so proud of like, I was like, yeah, this is a good beat. And I looked out and no one was moving. And I was like, y'all, we need something over here. No one had coffee. Like, y'all, did you hear that beat? Does nobody else like dance? Just me? That's fine. I can't even hardly. Thank you, Shay. Giselle, appreciate y'all. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Courtney Lee. I'm married to Adrian Lee, handsomest man on the planet. Um, we've been married for about 10 years. We've been um, here at this church um, for about 12 years. We came in fresh out of graduating college, zero plans for our life, except to build our career first and pick a church that fit in with it. And God flipped that on its head and said, here's your church. You can build everything else around that. Um, and we did. Uh, but it wasn't with, you know, the ups and downs and the fights of surrender. Um, but best swerve that God's ever given us. We've got um, two incredible babies. One is four. She's full of wonder and magic, has never met a stranger. Those of you who are good at teaching your children stranger danger, please instruct me. I am concerned. She shouts to strangers and says, tell me your name. And then they tell her her name. And she goes, mom, their name is John. Now they're not a stranger and I can go home with them. Send help. Thank you. My son, Theo, his smile pretty much rivals the sunshine, um, and I'm absolutely in love with him. Has me wrapped around his finger. Rory, I make toe the line. Theo just gives me a grin, and then Adrian's like, oh my gosh. He's not going to be a terrible human, I promise, but mostly because his father is wonderful, and I just keep letting him have chocolate. Um, he's really cute when he smears the chocolate across his face. Anyway, uh, so we got to be here 12 years, raise our kiddos, and go from nothing and no clue um, to getting to raise a family here um, in the best house under the best pastors and leadership. Um, and there's no one that has inspired me in their walk with Jesus like our pastors, um, getting to see their real life, um, believing in his promises when it's easy and when it's hard, um, believing that God has come for everyone and they're always going to make more room, um, always seeing the best in people, um, always being obedient to his call and never changing the calling based on their experience or what it looks like. These are the things that have inspired me and informed my faith and changed me forever. We have the best passion leaders in the world. Um, the only reason you don't get one of them today is because they're on vacation um, with their family. They send their love. They're probably watching right now um, to make sure I don't say something wild. We can just guarantee I will say something wild, and then you guys can just enjoy your vacation. Um, but so thankful for our pastors and so thankful for the opportunity to get to talk to you guys today. We're going to be talking on, I was, I was hoping to bring out some like obscure Bible passage that no one had ever heard and be like, wow, but actually we're going real basic. So so can you go basic with me today? Like, this is like basic, solid truth. Thank you. Thank you from the summer camp booth. Okay, Luke 8, 11 through 15. Um, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Oops, do we have it there? Oh, fabulous. It's going to have to turn a whole page. Okay, next. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fall on the good soil, thank God we have a happy ending, represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge 
harvest. So early on in Adrian and I's marriage, y'all, this is going to be me the whole time. My heels keep catching my pants. Um, so <laughs> just enjoy. Um, earlier on in our marriage, um, Adrian and I were in this two-bedroom apartment, um, not like in the safest area of town, but we loved it. And our neighbors were wildly entertaining. Um, we had this like lovely British lady who was like 85, had been in the Air Force for us or Britain. I'm not sure. But she lived um, on the one in the apartment underneath us. And I think I just did DIY projects every night till midnight. I'm pretty sure I actually did that, which was wrong. Um, but every morning, she'd be like, Courtney, are you clogging again? Are you clogging upstairs again? Like every night, she thought I was clogging. Like just like, this was me. Um, but I was DIYing things. Um, but I also loved her because 4th of July. Happy 4th weekend, by the way. Um, happy 4th. Okay, who's, who's the fireworks people that you're going to like stand right next to a Roman candle and like fight someone with it? Who's that? Okay, who's the people that all have like a safe distance and like you're like, I will watch you endanger your life? Okay, fabulous. When I'm here, I'm the safe one. When I go home to Virginia with my brothers, I'm like, give me that Roman candle and we're about to battle it out. So it just kind of changes depending on who I'm with. Um, but anyway, so Jean, our little neighbor, 4th of July, if you like accidentally said happy 4th to her, she shouted, God save the queen at you. Like, like before you finish the sentence. It was magical. But anyway, we were leaving. We were moving out of this apartment. God was moving around a bunch of awesome things in our lives, shifting some things, creating new priorities. And part of that was a new move. A family in our church um, had this airstream um, on Lake Keystone. And they were like, you can live here rent-free while you prepare for what God has for you next, uh, which was wild and incredible. And not normal in the real world, but like in our church, these stories are wildly normal um, of just generosity like that. Um, and so Adrian and I were um, moving. We were like packing up boxes so that we could do the move. And we had friends come over. And because it was kind of a sudden pivot, um, friends came in before I got to do the first go-through. You know how like, I don't know if guys do this, but girls, I think we do this, or maybe it's just me. Um, will you like want to go through first so that like your house looks presentable before people come help you move? Um, but like I didn't quite have that opportunity or maybe I didn't know when I had the opportunity. So basically like all the DIY projects that I hadn't finished were still out. The stack of papers, I still didn't know what to do with that warranty on my car that I was supposed to go somewhere and fix. Like that stack of papers was still happening and so I was like, shoot. And so like my friends come over and I thought when you packed that like you have boxes per room, and you put the stuff from the room in the box, and you name, and you title the box the name of the room, and then you go, right? Like, that's the method. No, my friends did not do it this way. The way my friends did it is everything goes on the interrogation table and defends its eternal significance in your life. And if it does not defend itself well, then it goes into the, like, gnashing of teeth in the pit of fire. I don't know, something. But basically, everything went on the table. Nothing was exempt. I couldn't just say, oh, that we keep. Everything was interrogated. And I remember everything was going on the interrogation table, and the, this yellow handbag with tags still on it from TJ Maxx, like, goes on the table, and they're like, Courtney. And I was like, I could wear it with something. They're like, it's bejeweled. And I was like, people like bejeweled. And they're like, but you hate bejeweled. And so it was like this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I'm sure there was animal print on it too, which I never do unless forced. And so what was I supposed to do with this yellow handbag? And I was like, but it was 1999. They're like, yes, the tags are still on it. Get rid of it. Um, so I did get rid of the yellow handbag. But what God did in that season was he actually like pointed out, because one of my friends asked this question. She was like, okay, would you pay rent for that? I was like, no, I wouldn't pay rent for things I value, let alone a handbag I've never worn. But realizing that I was paying, um, I was paying for things I didn't value. 
in my life, in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit, things that maybe people had handed to me that I thought I couldn't get rid of, things I was carrying from um, others' expectations, um, from things in my past where I was actually different now and didn't need the same tools I thought I needed then. Um, there was a new way that I needed to be, and my life needed to fit with that. I needed to make some room. Um, so today we're going to make some room. Are you guys ready to make some room? You might, you might lose a yellow handbag in the process, okay? So just be ready. You might lose a yellow handbag, but what you get is much better. Um, I think that sometimes when we face a storm, I know I do this, um, and I remember doing this kind of in college. We face a storm or a crisis, and all of a sudden, we're like tossing out the things we actually maybe need the most instead of the things we need the least. So like I like imagine like in college my freshman year there was so much freedom and I just like needed to make decisions on like how to prepare for a 10 page paper. And so I'm like okay this week got a lockdown, no eating, no sleeping, no drinking water, nothing, only doing this, but I'm not missing Friday night rap battle, sleeping in on Saturday morning and getting a Belgian waffle at the cafeteria and Sunday afternoon Gilmore girls for 5 hours. Immovable. Absolutely immovable. This is a true story. Don't judge me. Um, but there are things in our life, the things, there are some things we make immovable that weren't immovable. And then there are other things that were actually life-giving and actually sustained our life for beyond the storm that we're like, nope, can't keep those. It's like we're those sailors on the ship. I don't know why I have this image, but I have this image of the ship and the sailors. It's from a movie. I have no idea which one. Swiss Family Robinson. Let's go with it. Um, and they're like throwing the barrels over, you know, like how you throw the barrels over. Everyone knows the barrels. Um, but it's seems like the sailors went to like a sailor school where they knew which barrels went first and it wasn't the food and it wasn't the water and it wasn't the other sailors that they needed to help sail the ship but like when we go through a crisis or a storm we're like for sure the sailors are going first I don't need nobody to sail this ship but me and then we're like in the food and the water and the thing that actually is going to bring us life that's gone and all the things to navigate to get us back on course after we get through the storm that's gone but keep the tapestries I don't know it seems like all ships have tapestries Tapestries. Um, so, okay, so we're going to look at scripture and we're going to get a filter so that when we make the room, we get rid of the yellow handbag, but we keep the things that we need to keep that are immovable, that'll get us through the storm and beyond the storm back on track. So, Luke 8 11. You guys got me breathing hard. I'm moving too much in these heels. Woo! Um, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. It's the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. So Jesus tells this parable. No one understands it. Yes. And the disciples are like, what did you say? And Jesus actually explains it. And this is one of the only parables that Jesus actually like goes line by line and explains. So like, let's listen up because this is rare. Um, the seed is God's word. Um, so when we're talking about this, I don't want you to just think this is like just random scriptures. This is the word of God. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ plants in your life, it transforms it to heaven ground. It's an outpost of heaven until heaven covers the earth like waters cover the sea. And so when we receive and make room for the seed of God's word to be planted in our lives, it transforms, it brings life, it brings hope, brings healing. I want to tell you what heaven is, because heaven isn't just the place we go where we die. Heaven is the space that God dwells and has full reign, and nothing else has power there except him and his name. And so we can have heaven ground everywhere we step, because we carry the presence of the Most High God. And so when we're saying we're going to make more room for this, I'm not saying so that when you die, you can experience freedom. I'm saying right here, today, in your family, in your marriage, and in your life, he has freedom. He has peace, he has hope, he has healing. 
He can make whole what was broken. There is nothing outside of the realm of what he can fix and make right. When I fix things, it still looks very broken. Ask my daughter. I try to fix some books. Turned out poorly. When God fixes things, it's better than it was before. And so I just want to tell you, I am not preaching to the person who, who has like, I don't know, like none of our pains are small, but I'm not, I'm not preaching to like the little thing. Like I'm preaching to the pain that you're like, there's no way God can fix this. And I'm inviting you, try to lay that one down again and see what he does. The seed is God's word. And we're saying we want to be heaven ground. So the th- seeds that fall on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The footpath is where the soil has become so packed there's no room. No one knows it's a field anymore. It's a footpath. It's been so walked on and so packed down, nothing can even get in. We're trying to make some room here. The footpath is where there's no room. The thing that makes it that way. We've all, we've all been walked on before, right? We've all been used. We've all been hurt. We've all experienced the situation shouldn't have been that way. They shouldn't have treated me that way. They were the person that were supposed to actually be there for me, and they're the ones that betrayed me. We have all experienced this, and we actually don't get packed down for the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth time. It's usually beyond that, that we've decided, I can't hurt like this again. Like, I got I to gotta build up something, a callus or something. I got to make this so this doesn't happen again because I can't even function this way. But I just want you to know that when you let yourself become that, all the footpath invites is more feet to walk on. The field is the space that only a few dumb people walk over it. The footpath is the space where everyone's like, it's a footpath. It's where I'm supposed to walk. We all know a footpath from a field. So how do we, how do we remain a field and not a footpath? We have to choose to stay soft. We have to choose to cultivate an unoffendable heart. There's this incredible story. I can't read the whole thing. I think it'll probably go up. Matthew 15, 24 through 28, that God has used to rock my world. I'm not someone teaching you as someone who's really good and not taking offense. Um, I'm, telling, I'm telling you as a student of people who are really good and not taking offense. Because um, growing up, I was really good at it, but I've seen the results. And I've seen that in people's 50s and 60s, they keep talking about that one thing in high school. And I see that every conversation steers back to this one thing that they haven't been able to let go of. And that no matter what's happening now in their life, they almost can't see it through the story that they've been telling themselves for 20 years. And I know I don't want to be that. And so no matter how painful, I'm going to figure out this. Because I'm not going that way. Because when I'm in my 80s, I'm going to still have a girl gang to go hang out with. Okay? (laughs) It's the whole plan. (laughs) But I see these people that... They still in their 80s believe God has a purpose for their life, that the church is God's number one plan for this world, and that they still can talk to people and see God change lives. I see them with hope for humanity. I don't see them sitting in front of the news just being worried and saying, well, it's, it's never getting any better. No, people who always believe the, yet, the best is yet to come. And the thing that I found about these people who stay in jobs, stay in marriages, stay in churches, stay in friendships, stay believing that God can change people's lives no matter what they see with their eyes, is that they have an unoffendable heart. And what's been interesting is that the people with the most unoffendable heart, because you're like, well, it's easy to forgive a little offense, yes. But the people I've met with the most unoffendable heart are actually the people who have forgiven the things that you're like, that's unforgivable. That was an injustice like nothing I've ever seen. 
And those are actually the people that I see have the most unoffendable heart. And so I don't have all the things for you. My biggest tool would be find somebody who you've seen walk through forgiveness that makes no sense. Sit down and ask them questions because that's a tool you need to learn way more than how to make thousands of dollars. Like that is actually what will make you last in this world and still have joy until old age. But I have a couple tools for us for cultivating an unoffendable heart now. And so there was this woman, this Gentile woman, Matthew 15, who was following Jesus and his disciples around and saying, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. And Jesus ignores her. And then the disciples, she keeps going, and the disciples say, send her away. And then Jesus turns to her and says, I only came for the lost sheep of Israel. Basically, I didn't come for you. And then she hears nothing except that he turned to her, falls down, worships him, says, Lord, help me. Like she can't hear anything else. And he says, I won't give the children's food to the dogs. And she says, even the dogs get the scraps from the master's table. And he says, your faith is great. Your daughter is healed. And what I have found is that every opportunity for a breakthrough is on the other side of my greatest offense. Every opportunity for your breakthrough is on the other side of overlooking the offense most designed to hurt you. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he can see when your breakthrough's coming a mile away, when you can't. And it's right around the bend. And you're sitting there getting distracted by how someone ignored you. You're getting distracted by someone said something wrong to you. Dogs is a very wrong name. Please don't call anyone dogs. Um, you're getting distracted by the fact that no one wants you in the room. You're getting distracted instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus and hearing only his voice and believing so strongly in his goodness that you can't hear anything else or see anything else until you see him and are just waiting because you know he can do it. He will do it. I'm just going to stay here until my miracle comes. And that's the kind of determination I'm going to have. I'm not going to let an offense take me out. Okay, I have like a, a couple funny ways to like help avoid offense. You can laugh at me later, and, um, and these aren't like super spiritual, but these are just things that we all need to avoid. The small offenses are what take us out, okay? The big offenses are actually the ones we go on our knees before God and say, please help. It's the small offenses that I'm like, well, I'm never going to be their friend again, that cut out the relationship that would have given us life into old age. Like, we need to keep these friendships and these relationships longer than one invitation miss. And so here's, here's four things. I just want you to try it. It's not spiritual. It's not even necessarily biblical, kind of. We can argue later. Um, but four things to help you filter through an offense. When something happens, you didn't get invited. Someone said something wrong. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. One, everybody likes me. Say it. Everybody needs me. Everybody wants me in the room. My voice matters to God and people. Okay, so I'll tell you the reasoning. Everybody needs you. God doesn't create anything unnecessary. Everything in this world is whole and necessary. We need you to be who you are and who you're called to be. And so everybody needs you. Everybody wants you in the room. My gosh, you carry the presence of the living God and we're created by him. We need you in the room. Everybody likes you. When you like people, they like you. It's that easy. Number four, my voice matters to God and people. Before a word is on your tongue, he knows it completely. If your voice matters that much to him, how much more to the people that he made here below? So, four things, and by the time you filter an offense through that, then you can actually have space to be curious and be like, well, if I wasn't invited, everybody likes me, everybody wants me, everybody needs me, and my voice matters to God and people, then 
Maybe the person just forgot. But you actually have the space to have the conversation and to have conflict, to believe the best in the person when you actually believe all those four things. So you're not sitting there wondering, I wonder if they like me. Everybody likes me. And if they don't yet, they just haven't caught on yet. Like, just spend less time wondering. Those are settled. Ask questions. Have conversations. Ask the person. Be curious. And we'll actually be able to build relationships that can last a lifetime. Offense is too distracting, and there's no room for it. There's a miracle on the line. Offense isn't worth it. Verse 13, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, they fall away when they face temptation. Seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while and they fall away when they face temptation. I used to think this was just for the shallow people. Um, but then realized, <laughs> then realized, if all of us were seeds and we all were sprouts, then everyone had the opportunity to grow deep roots or not. This is the developmental phase of following Jesus. When the honeymoon phase is over, we have this in every area. We have it in friendships. We have it in marriages. We have it in jobs. The honeymoon phase, the honeymoon phase fades, and you have the opportunity to decide, is this what I'm doing when it doesn't feel good? Is this it? And this is the season. And so God actually allows seasons where we get to trust the promises before we see them. He doesn't bring them on, but he does allow them. Because that's the season when all of a sudden the rain isn't just enough. You have to grow down the the roots until you hit water. And that means you have to trust that the water is there. And that means you have to make an effort before you see the result of the effort. And that looks like getting the scripture so far inside of you that it's all that comes out of you. And that looks like building relationships with people enough that says like, hey, if I'm off, you get to tell me. And I want you to remind me of what's true. I remember I like lost all vision. There was a really hard season. Adrian and I were walking through and I sat across a friend at a, at a lunch at McAllister's and they were like, what do you need from me? Courtney, I was like, I need you to remind me of the vision of what we're doing, just keep talking. I will listen until I believe it. And this friend just started going and telling me of the kingdom of God and telling me of what we were a part of and telling me that everything that we had done wasn't for nothing until I believed it. You gotta have the people. This is why we push connect groups so hard. You gotta have your people. No, we don't think that everybody is your people. Well, maybe, but we do think that if you keep showing up, my closest friends are not the ones that I thought that God was going to choose as my best friends forever. God chose my friendships. When we say connect groups, keep showing up, not just the first time or the second time or the third time. Keep showing up till you're known and you know, until you actually can build a relationship so that somebody gets to speak into your life in that moment when you're like, I don't see him. And I don't know what this rocky soil moment might be for you. Um, for Adrian and I, two years ago today, we were in the hospital with our son, Theo. Um, he was on oxygen. He's totally fine now. He's chubby as they come. Um, but he was, <laughs> he was three weeks old. Um, he had RSV. And we were watching the oxygen monitor drop and go up. He was on as high of oxygen as they could get. And the next step was a vent. And he couldn't eat anything because it stopped his breathing or drink anything. So he was on an IV. Um, and we were just watching our baby and praying and worshiping over him and just hoping. And I remember, like, praying and worshiping for his healing and speaking life over him and speaking health over him, which is all good. But then I remember this moment where God said, can you worship like it's finished? And I was like, okay, can you tell me that it's finished? <laughs> And, and he was, and I, and I heard quiet. 
And I knew what he was inviting me to do is to worship before he told me the ending um, and before he told me what was next. And I've never felt freedom like that. Um, and I wish that I could give that to everyone, but I also don't want anyone in that moment next to a hospital bed. But I know that some of my most free moments, my most peaceful moments are often next to a hospital bed um, or in a moment that I have no control and only have surrender. And so in this, the depths of putting your roots down, you got to get the scripture inside of you. You got to spend the time with him and keep showing up when you feel it and you don't. You got to know. I believe he is good. I believe he is faithful. I believe he is loyal. I believe he is true. I believe he has never left me or forsake me, regardless of what my experience says. I will not change the promise to match my experience. I will wait until the experience matches the promise. I don't need to resolve the tension and toss out what you called me to. I will keep what you called me to. I will walk in the experience, and I will know that brings all things together for my good. Is not finished yet? He is mighty to save. He fights for me, and he has never lost the battle. He's coming for you. His arm to rescue cannot be stopped. There's neither height nor depth, heaven or hell that can keep him from his love for you and from rescuing you. I am not talking philosophically. I am talking in your real world. He will save you. He will rescue you. Don't leave. Keep those roots going down. The seed that fell among the storms, verse 14, represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. Seeds that fall among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. I, again, I don't think this is just for some people. I think any of us who walk with God long enough, you're, it's a wrestle. It's a wrestle to make sure that the cares and riches and pleasures of this world don't take over the, the initial calling, that the one we loved first doesn't fade away with all the gifts. Because he does give gifts, but we have to make sure we figure out what we prioritize and how to do that. And I want you to notice, too, the cares, riches, and pleasures. Another version says the worries of this world. There is no way to pursue the riches and pleasures of this world without the worries. The worries are attached. You can't have one without the other. Whatever you place the most value on is what you're afraid of losing, what you fight to keep. And the only person that you can place value on, not have to worry about losing, nor have to fight to keep, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you seek his kingdom first... All these other things are added on to you. When you try to hold on to your life, you lose it. When you try to grab on to your life for his sake, you will keep it. Everything in our life, at some point, he will call us to lay down. And he always gives it back better than before, but never in the way you expected. This is, we have deep roots. We've cultivated a heart of un, an unoffendable heart and a heart of forgiveness. And we put our, deep, our roots down and we keep showing up and we're planted in life-giving community and we're planted in the word of God. And we've been able to worship through the storm. If you notice in this verse, they actually have deep roots. This person has deep roots. They had soil that wasn't offendable. So they actually did the first two things well. But then they let some other things crowd in. So in this, it matters what we plant first and it matters what's immovable and what's flexible around it. So it's kind of like in a house, like the couch can get moved. We can live without the couch. The weight-bearing beam, nobody chop into it. I know some of you design people can do that. I'm not even going to try it. 
but the weight-bearing beam needs to stay and the couch can go. We just need to know what the couch is and what the immovable beam is. So we need to know what we plant first. This is why tithing is so important, not just for your money, for every area of your life. Tithing your first 10%, that is my time. Money's easier for me to give away. Time, terrible. I don't want to give anyone my time. Um, I love my time. I would like to spend 12 hours a week reading a book and journaling. Actually, 12 hours reading, 12 hours journaling. Anyway, um, but when you tithe, you're giving that first 10% to God saying, you are the one that I trust with my future, with my time, with my protection, with my safety, with my security, with my freedom, with my kids, with my family, with everything that I am. When you give that first, he can give everything back to you and make room. That first 10% makes room. And God is not a philosophical God. He's a very practical God. Everything that, was, that you see, he created. So he doesn't call us to a philosophical, I give you my first. He's like, hey, how about 10% from your paycheck? And we're like, that's great. Because we're really practical people, and he wants our real heart. So we plant first, and let's see if I can catch up with where I got. Here we go. And then we have to decide what's immovable and what's flexible. And what this looks like has a lot less formula and a lot more daily walking with God. Um, what this looks like is, hey, we're going on vacation. God, do you have any thoughts on this? I know it sounds silly, but it's real. This looks like, okay, God, I have a promotion at my job. What do you think about it? Here's what I like about it. Here's what I don't like about it so much. It looks really good for my family. It looks really good in these ways. What are your thoughts? It looks like, hey, God, we're thinking of moving for this reason. What do you think about this? It looks like, hey, I started dating this person. They love you. They love the church. They're an incredible person. But if it's not yours, God, I don't want it. No matter what I see with my eyes, it's yours first and mine second. It looks like everything is movable around the one thing of who he is and his calling on your life. And when you plant first and when you make him immovable, again, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added on to you. All the things that you're actually longing for are given back to you without the worry that would have been attached if you grabbed it for yourself. God is for you. God loves you. God has got a good plan and a good future for your life. The things you're actually fighting for, you're just going through the wrong method. If you lay it down and grab on him, the thing that you're fighting for actually comes to pass. For your family, for your marriage, for your kids, for your future, for your job. He can do more than you could ever ask or think. The seeds that fell in the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Hear God's word. That means their hearts were unoffendable. It was soft. The seed could actually fall in. They cling to it. This is where our effort goes. We're not trying to be perfect, and we're not trying to earn our way to heaven. Pastor shared a vision for this year that is still reverberating through my heart, and I know so many others. Make every effort. Make every effort. The gospel is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And here's where our effort goes. Cling to him. Cling to him. I think of like my kids can cling. They can cling hard. And when I'm cooking, I got two of them like on each leg. And they're like thinking that they're the best in the world. But man, they can cling. And they're grabbing on. And they're not letting go. They are unshakable. But that takes some effort. That takes some movement. And whatever I'm clinging to, there's one thing and everything else I've let go of in order to cling. 
This is the effort. This is where we go. We cling to it. The fence hasn't crowded out the miracle. We cling to him. We make an effort. We grab on. And we patiently produce a huge harvest. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're not trying to just produce. I think productive has, has come to kind of a negative term. Maybe not. But it's, it's come to like a tasky term. And when Jesus says, I'm going to produce a harvest, what he wants to do, if you look at a field where, like, the plants have produced fruit and then that fruit's produced seed and that seed's produced plants and, like, it keeps going, that first plant isn't burnt out. And it's not depleted because it produced fruit. And there's a hundredfold, and the first plants are stronger, not weaker. refusing to drink it. Um, when we allow God to produce fruit in our life and remain in that vine, that branch isn't worried about draining or running out of its source. There is no running out in him. There's no running out. He's the one, he's the author of time and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's no limits in him. If we would make some room for heaven to work, it's way until it produces the harvest that he envisioned for us. So praying for you today, we're going to take a moment. If you want to go ahead and stand with me and have the worship team come up, we're going to worship again um, together. But I want to just take a moment before we, um, <clears throat> before we worship, and I want to just pray. If there's things in your life, we can't move around all the things in our life. That have, that have helped us, that have been tools, that have been protection. We can't move around all those things, but we can surrender them. Our, our greatest gift is surrender. And so I just want to take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes. Um, if there's something in your life that you're like, I want to let go of this, I need the grace to. I just need the grace to. God's just asking if you're willing. God's just asking if you're willing to let go enough to where he can take it away and give you what you need. God always trades beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, love for fear. We let, have to let go of something, but it's nothing compared to what he's got. And usually the thing that he's got is the thing we were trying to hold on to originally anyway. So I just want to pray for you. But if there's something that you're like, I need to release this. I need God to make some room in my heart. I need grace to come in and cultivate the soil. There's some offense. There's some unforgiveness. And I don't quite know how to let it go, but I know I want him to let it go. <clears throat> but put your hand over your heart. I just want to pray over you. Because I serve a God who does miracles. <sighs> Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your strength. Thank you, God, that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, God, that you see us. You're the God that sees us. You are the God who rescues. You are the God who provides. You are the God who heals, who restores, who makes whole. And nothing, no weapon formed against us shall prosper or succeed. God, I pray for healing right now in Jesus' name. 
healing from hurt, healing from abuse. God, healing from offense, healing from betrayal, healing from missed expectations, healing from having to protect yourself from the person who is supposed to protect you. God, I pray for hope to enter in. I pray for room for joy. I pray for the grace to surrender, the grace to let go, the grace to release and grab onto you so that peace can wash over us and sweep us away. Pray for freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear, freedom from worry. I pray for the ability to lay down and sleep at night. I pray for the ability to wake up and be excited to get out of bed. I pray for clear eyes, clear vision, clear ears to hear. We want to see, we want to hear, we want to walk in your way. I pray for fresh hearts. Pray that you would take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of, fre of flesh. Fresh hearts, fresh hearts, innocence. Jesus' name, let's worship.